Did you know that your thumbs travel two marathons a year? That's over 18,480 feet scrolling on your phones. We spend over two hours, 27 minutes a day on social platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Getting people to stop scrolling and paying attention to your marketing is hard. The problem isn't necessarily that people can't pay attention. It's that actually catching their attention, getting them to notice you in the first place as opposed to scrolling right by, that's the hard part. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of people who are competing with for that kind of initial attention. And you can put so much work into something that's a really great piece. If you can't capture their attention in the first like five seconds, they're already gone and doing something else. That's why Caitlin Burgoyne came up with the five apps of attention to help you grab your target buyer's attention and get them to check out your marketing. In this Marketing Pops episode, you learn first, Caitlin's five Fs of attention. Second, an example for each one of those. And number three, one thing that's helped Caitlin accelerate her career to become CEO of Customer Gap. For each episode, I create a power-ups cheat sheet you can use to download, fill in, and apply the marketing concepts your business right away and go to marketingpowerups.com to get those right now are you ready let's go marketing power-ups ready go here's your host Ramley john talking about marketing power-ups one of the things that you recently written on on your newsletter also on twitter thread is around the nine f's of attention you provided some stats and some reasoning that it's really hard for people, even marketers, to get attention uh, and other people to pay attention to what they're doing. Why is it? Why is it so hard? Is there um, any things that you can share around, like why it's so hard for people to pay attention to, to things nowadays? Well, I mean, I don't think that. I think that getting people's attention is hard, mm. um, and I think that holding people's attention is hard. But I think that there's also this kind of like. Um, untrue um, thing that's said by a lot of marketers, which is, you know, like it's really impossible to like keep people's attention these days. But if you look at um, some evidence, that's not necessarily true, right? People like still binge Netflix series. They still Mm. listen to like three hour episodes of Rogan. Um, They'll watch like hours of YouTube content. They'll read insanely long threads, like some of the ones that I read. So the problem isn't necessarily that people can't pay attention. It's that actually catching their attention, getting them to notice you in the first place as opposed to scrolling right by, that's the hard part. And you can have the most amazing content, but if you can't hook people really quickly, then you don't, they, they'll never discover it. And so it's really about stopping the scroll, being able to create scroll stopping content. And that's a thing that a lot of you know marketers are struggling with. And there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of people who are competing with for that kind of initial attention. And you can put so much work into something that's a really great piece. But if it's got the wrong headline or, you know, the wrong intro, if you can't capture their attention in the first like five seconds, they're already gone and doing something else. So that got me really thinking about, well, I'm curious, like, why do we pay attention and what grabs our attention? And that led me to going on this path of, to come coming up with what I call the actual seven F's of attention. I've actually combined a couple of them nice. um, and there's a new one, but it's this way of remembering what the kind of key things are. And then within each of those, there's all sorts of cool brainy psychology stuff going on, but really there's 
you know, if you, once you get a sense of why people pay attention and how attention works, then as a marketer, you can get better at actually capturing attention consistently as opposed to having like amazing viral like hits <laughs> and then things that just like that you're so confident are going to work and you post it. Nobody gives a crap. In terms of like the, how hard that is, I remember sharing in your uh, a stat, the, you, you shared a stat on your your posts around this uh, attention. I, I'm going to link it in the description as customercamp.co forward slash attention. P- most people go through two marathons a year of scrolling. That's like 18,000 480 feet of scrolling and I'm just thinking about last night before I went to bed I was on Reddit <laughs> I, was just, I was just scrolling through my feed I'm going on Instagram I'm going on Facebook going through Twitter like just it's just mm-hmm. a scrolling fest I realize now and I, I probably run to three or four marathons a year just scrolling as a marketer just to see what people are up to I think marketers do a lot more scrolling than the average folk right because we're scrolling for pleasure but we're also scrolling for work that totally makes sense. And that is a challenge. And uh, it's great you put together this F's, uh, this se- seven F's now uh, around grabbing attention from, from people. We're going to be able to uh, cover five in, in this mm-hmm. session. But I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll link through, through the rest in, in the description. One of the things that you, one of the F's is fierce. And fierce mm-hmm. is such a primal emotion. Can you talk a little bit about how marketers can uh, capture uh, uh, and, and get people's attention through through fears. Absolutely. And so one thing I always want to start off with a caveat when we talk about this one is that you do not need to be one of those sleazy marketers who is all doom and gloom and talking about death and disease and trying to scare the crap out of people to get them to buy their your product. So there's this great kind of example that we give in this new um, challenge that I'm working on where I compare two commercials for mouthwash. One of them is from a brand and they talk about gingivitis which is this terrible mouth disease that can lead to cancer and death and heart disease and like you know like you're like yeah gingivitis is scary that's like you know that's them really hitting into that visceral fear but you don't have to go that route this other brand that also sells mouthwash has this great ad and it's of a a minister or a priest and he's um, giving his congregation like yes a sermon and they're all at the other end of the room in the corner because his <laughs> breath is so bad he's scaring them away and it's like you laugh but what's actually happening right. is it's tapping into one of our very human fears which is about losing status or being rejected from our tribe and that is a very scary thing because if you think about the way humans evolved we needed other humans for survival. We lived in groups. We were a herding species and we needed each other so that we could get water and shelter and food. And so we have a very hardwired emotional fear around rejection. So you can tap into the literal fears like gingivitis and like heart disease, or you can play with something fun like bad breath and how that's going to like be revolting to other people. And you're still actually tapping into fear, but it's a different approach. And it's an approach that no potential customer is going to look at your brand and go, oh, another fear mongering marketer. They're actually going to appreciate it. But in their unconscious mind, they're connecting, oh, I don't want to have bad breath. I don't want to alienate people. I'm afraid of being rejected from the tribe. I'm afraid of losing status. I should freshen my breath. So fears are a big one. But like I said, you don't have to go right for the kind of like the jugula when it comes to how you market around fears. 
Another example you brought up in your Twitter threads, uh, Snickers, the, the bar, chocolate bar. And, and there's a race. There's a, a, a three people who are going for a race. And the middle one is going the other way. And it's like you're not yourself when you're hungry. And it just feels to the core around uh, you want to be your, you know, the desire to be to be yourself and to be productive mm-hmm. and going the right way. And it's really tapping into that uh, subliminal unconscious desire and fear that people have to, to be productive, essentially. That's it. That's it. And there's another way that we can, you know, that marketers often tap into fear. And it's actually something that there wasn't, there's a, like, wasn't really a name for it that I could find in the, um, you know, neuroscience literature, but it's something that I think that we all experience. And so I named it myself and I call it FOBO, which is fear of being outdone. And Mm. so I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you're scrolling through social media and you see a peer or somebody kind of that you look at as being, you know, in maybe another marketer, maybe um, you're a business owner, maybe it's another business owner in your space. And they're talking about how much money they just made on their launch, or they're talking about um, the house they just bought. It looks like a friggin' mansion. And what that's another really powerful motivator because we're very competitive Mm. by nature. There was this incredible study that psychologists did that tapped into happiness and competitiveness and people's happiness, which is kind of unnerving but true is that as a kind of a broader um analysis people aren't necessarily happier when they make more money they're happier if they make more money than their peers Mm. like it's less (laughs) about like they did this study and they asked um people would you rather assuming the cost of goods is the same right nothing the cost of goods is the same would you rather um make uh fifty thousand dollars a year and your peers make 25 or make $100,000 a year, but your peers make 150. And unanimously, even though the costs are the same, unanimously people opted for $50,000 over 100,000 so that they would not be making less than their peers. So that's a real fear. And it's something that marketers can tap into in a, I think not in a slimy way, but just showcasing people who are finding success with your solutions as social proof it inspires, but I think it also really taps into our fear of being outdone. And we see other brands and other peers doing and achieving the things that we would like. It kind of motivates us to want to keep up. And if we can buy a product or sign up for a software that might be able to help us keep up, we're going to do it. Yeah, that is, uh, I love that. And it, it goes to one of the things that you're a big fan of, jobs to be done. Uh, that's mm-hmm. for that's a, for a whole different episode. I feel like we can you, you and I can probably chat about that for several days on the show if we wanted to. But it's kind of connected to one of the Fs that you shared around future me. Like how this desire, you know, one of the things that you can grab attention is like helping them see who they can, who somebody can be uh, in the future with your product. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you talk a little, a little bit more about that and uh, any examples that you have for it? Sure. And you often will see um, when we look at kind of what I'm calling FOBO, um, which lies under fears, and you look at future me, you'll often see them used together in content. So people will start with kind of a really shocking number of like, you know, how much time they've saved or how much money they make, something that makes you go, oh, shit, I'm not doing that well. And your competitive streak hits in. But then they'll explain well, if you read the rest of this thread or if you watch this video, I can reveal how I'm doing this. And that's tapping into your desire for future me. So again, like we 
we buy things because not of who we are necessarily. You know, I don't buy things because I'm a 37 year old woman living in Nova Scotia who drives a Volkswagen. Like that's not why I buy things. A lot of marketing personas would say that's why. (laughs) But the reason that I buy things is because there's progress that I'm trying to make in my life. And ultimately, there's another version of myself that I want to become. And I see that product being something that will help me become that future me. So again, in the case of the uh, mouthwash commercial, like future me doesn't want to alienate <laughs> my um, you know, potential people right. I meet with terrible breath. You could see that um, a commercial for uh, mouthwash showing somebody out on a date and they're getting close and they're like, you know, but they can do that because they don't have to worry about having bad breath. So now future me can envision how my life might be better if I were to meet that partner that I've been seeking and we were to have this romantic encounter. So you can take your product and you can insert it into the story, but it's not the star of the story. The star of the story is the journey that you're the customer is going to go on to become this future me. Another example you I saw you share on the, the Twitter thread is with Nike, like, and there's a person running. Your only limit is yourself, and it's really tapping into. I guess people who have this growth mindset and want to perform better and Nike is the one that's the path to towards it. Nike is such a great example. There's actually this study and I'll have to find a link to it, um, but I'll include it in a future piece where like in a high school basketball, they did, um, they had all of these teams and they gave a bunch of the players Nikes and they actually performed better. Like the same player (laughs) from one game pre having Nikes to then you know, having Nikes, they actually performed better. And it's because they believed the shoes mm. would make them better. And so they, because they believed they'd be better, they did perform better. And this is something that um, behavioral economists refer to as the Glacia effect, which mm. is oftentimes you've probably heard, um, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Mm. Right. Your belief system in your ability to achieve or your ability that you're not going to believe in that you're going to fail can really have huge impacts on your performance. And so because Nike has spent billions of dollars showing people that they're the brand that will allow you to become an athlete, to perform better, then when people put on the sneakers, they actually perform better, which is just incredible. That is, that is, wow, that's uh, a great way to show also placebo effect, but it's effective. A hundred percent. You believe it, it becomes true. Before we continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. When you're in scale-up mode, you have to hit your KPIs. And the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. It's a lot to handle. Demand gen, ABM, email sequences, revenue ops, and more. And that's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your hardest marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of in-house, look no further. Go to 42agency, that's number 42agency.com to talk to a strategist to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine now. Find that link in the description or show notes. Well, that's all for now. Let's jump back into this episode. And I guess that ties back to uh, one of the other Fs. It's around uh, fables. It's around story, telling a story. And Nike is also such a, they do such a good job of, of telling a story, even within, within 30 seconds uh, with an ad. Uh, I, I, I was watching uh, somebody share how 
Vine videos, which was six seconds back then, you can have like everything you need, like a beginning, middle, and end, essentially, of a story. Uh, and it's all about, and that's one great way to capture uh, people's attention is is one of your Fs. Can you talk a little bit more uh, about about fables and yeah. uh, how that, that is effective in terms of capturing people's attention? So as marketers, we know that stories sell, right? We're like, if you can actually communicate your message, but you can do it as opposed to listing a bunch of features and benefits, but you can actually craft a narrative around it. You can capture people's attention, you can keep their attention. But what's interesting is, again, like looking at the neuroscience behind it, they've done research when people are, when somebody is sharing a story and somebody is actively listening, they're the brain waves of them actually come together. It's this really amazing thing. Like our brains are so impacted by stories, but we really build a bond and we empathize with the storytellers. It's so fascinating. And so when you look at some of the world's best marketers, you know, Steve Jobs, he did this incredible job of standing up on stage when he was releasing a new product. And, you know, the iPads are a great example, one of his best um, talks ever. But when he's talking about the iPad, He's not talking about any of the, you know, the technical like innovations that went into creating this amazing product. He's talking about being able to read the newspaper, like, you know, being able to read in the bath or like watch a movie. Like he's sharing how your life is going to change because this product now exists. And he does that through telling stories. There's this fascinating approach to selling but you look at the best brands and they all do it they all do it mm. so well and they all do it over and over and again those stories coming back to the one we talked about before the future me oftentimes those stories are not about the brand they're about how you can be better because of the brand you look at red bull they've done this incredible job of positioning themselves as you know red bull gives you wins and they tell these stories but you're putting yourself in the hero's role right you're seeing yourself being the person who's able to do these death-defying stunts because you are drinking Red Bull. So the best brands, they tell great stories, but they also are not the star. They let you be the star of the story. They show how you, their product enables you on your journey. Uh, you mentioned S Steve Jobs. I think another thing that really helps him stand out is his his turtleneck. <laughs> the way he looks and talks, which I'm trying to apply it to one of the Fs, which is foreign. Like he's just so... <laughs> He's just so unique. I think uh, there's this effect that you talked about, the uh, Von Restroff uh, effect, mm -hmm. and I could have uh, totally mispronounced that. But essentially, it's around got it. yeah. how you can buck the trend to really stand mm -hmm. out. And you know, Steve Jobs does a good job with it. Um, can you give like other examples and uh, talk a little sure. bit more how people can be quote unquote more foreign or more uh, standing out so that they can really capture it? The day that um, that Ramley and I are doing this is the day before Black Friday. And Black Friday is obviously a huge day for marketers. And you're trying to figure out how am I going to stand out from all the noise today? There's going to be so many people talking to my prospective buyers. How do I stand out? And so I actually just wrote a thread about 10 standout, you know, unignorable um, Black Friday campaigns. And one of my favorites of all time is um, the one that Cards Against Humanity did last year, where instead of offering a Black Friday sale, they put the price of their product up by $5. <laughs> so they called it a once in a lifetime deal. And then on the buy button, it said consume with an exclamation point. So they were poking fun at the fact that like 
obviously every brand is trying to get you to buy on Black Friday. They're trying to get you to spend, spend, spend. They're like, we're going to buck the trend. We're actually going to make our product more expensive. And of course, this worked for them, right? They got a huge amount of press. Everybody came to the website and they ended up selling more games than they sold the year before. And so it's a great example. Another one along the same kind of thinking was this amazing one done by Ikea. So Ikea, instead of them saying, hey, come out and buy more stuff today, what they said is, hey, we want to buy your stuff back today. We're going to do a buyback sale. You bring in your old furniture. We're going to give you 50% of what it was worth. And then I think that they, I think the old furniture got donated maybe to people in need, but then you got a voucher you could use for Ikea. So it was this beautiful thing where it's like, don't put this furniture in the garbage when you're done with it. This is not disposable stuff. Let's be more um, environmentally friendly. And rather than you consuming today, why don't you give back today? And we'll actually buy back from you. So that was a super smart campaign too. So again, of course, whatever is going to work for you to differentiate your brand, it completely depends on your brand. The one from Black Cards Against Humanity makes sense for Cards Against Humanity to do. Another really smart one that was on brand was REI, which is an outdoor clothing uh, brand. They closed all their stores on Black Friday. They said, don't spend money, go outside. (laughs) (laughs) as a brand that sells outdoor clothing their customers love that right it was completely different than what other brands were doing it deepened the bond that rei buyers felt with that brand they didn't make any money on black friday but i guarantee you over the holidays coming up they probably made even more that Mm. year than they had previously with their black friday sales so you've got to do like you know if you want to be you know foreign if you want to stand out you have to really do things that are distinctly unique, but they should also be in alignment with your values and your brand. That makes sense. And I think you're probably right. Like the more people would start buying uh, that brand's um, product for the holidays, especially it's probably a bigger sale for them potentially. Look, it's also spread a really important message, especially when we think about future me. Who do I want to be in the future? Do I want to be the kind of person that buys yet another huge like, you know, device or like something that I don't need so I can sit inside and scroll? Or do I want to be the kind of person who goes outside and lives my life? So REI is in that message, even though it's so clever and it gets so much attention and press, it's also communicating very closely with telling people we're the brand for you if this is who you want to be. You want to be the kind of person who goes outside with your family on Black Friday, not the kind of person who stands in line mm. trying to get $20 off a TV. It seems like this uh, this uh, approaches, this Fs, all can work really well together. It's not like very they distinct. Um, and mm-hmm. which ties, you know, the last one is around faces. And I'm guessing, you know, when when that company has some ads, they, they use faces and customer camp has a face that looks directly to the call to action. Uh, for one of your pages. And I feel like, yeah, going back to that, it does work well all together uh, is what I'm hearing. They all work well because the faces one can be the one that grabs attention. So unsurprisingly, again, humans being a herding species, we notice other faces. So if we're scrolling through social media, let's say you're on Twitter, you're going to see all the little bio pics in the top corner, but those are not huge, right? But if you're scrolling through and you see that somebody's posted a picture of, like, you know, of their face and their, their face is making a funny expression, like it it captures your attention. And so what we're doing, whether we, you know, we usually don't consciously realize it, but we're looking for what I like to call friends, foes, and fucks. So we're looking for people who, you know, are friendly, people who we could trust, people who are already part of our tribe, or we'd Mm -hmm. like to have part of our tribe. 
We're looking for foes, people who are, we need to watch out for, potentially right. threats. And we're looking for fucks, which is not <laughs> possible mates, right? Right. And so we're doing this unconsciously all the time. And when you look at some really eye-catching ads, they often have faces, most of the best thumbnails on YouTube videos, right? right really faces. funny faces. Like sure. go to Mr. Beast's channel. Mr. Beast, you will right. see his face <laughs> making this ridiculous expression right. with like you know, a pile of money behind him where he just got buried alive or something. Right. But like it's always his face, right? His face is just going to catch you. And so... When you're using faces, it's a thing that you can fall back on to kind of like catch that quick attention. But if you don't incorporate some of these other things we've been talking about, then you'll probably lose that attention really quickly. They'll be like, oh, that's an issue. Oh, I'm not interested in that. And they'll just keep going. So you've got, you can't rely on just the face alone. You've got to back it up with like something compelling as well. But the face can help you stop the scroll and get that attention. I feel like what's also tied to that is around us trying to understand the what are the emotion of that face? So like going back to Mr. Beast, like when Mr. Beast has his mouth wide open and he looks shocked. Like I said the word shock, but there's no word shock there. I'm just looking, okay, that he's shocked. Like, oh, that person's yeah. sad or that person's yeah. like, we're trying to, even a young age babies, I'm guessing are trying to figure out the emotion of their parents or yes. people. And I feel like that goes back to, we're trying to understand, is that foe trying to attack me or trying to to reach out a hand or is that friend? upset and how can i help so that really uh it really tops into the youtube tunnel that now that you think about it, it has a lot of faces and emotion to it absolutely if you go one of the uh, examples we give in this new program we're working on called unignorable is um, alex hermosi who's written this great book called 100 million dollar offers he's his style of marketing isn't necessarily for everybody he's one of those kind of more uh, traditional internet marketers, but you know, he puts out really good content and he's certainly worth paying attention to. But if you go to his YouTube channel, he's got this video where, um, it's on, it's him in the front looking kind of nervous, looking over and behind him, the kind of thing he's looking at is this like woman in a bright red dress. And of course, like that makes us think about another one of the F's, which is fun and well, guess what's fun pleasurable things like mm. sex or food or whatever right. um so you're kind of your eyes caught there and then the other side is a big pile of money and i can't remember what the title of the video it is it's like you know you know they could leave you broke if you're not careful now of course your brain goes is he gonna talk about how women are stealing your money so like you're curious <laughs> and you want to see but right. when you go through it's got nothing to do with women stealing your money it's just this attention grab <laughs> like visual that makes you curious enough that you're like, I want to watch that video. And then the first five seconds he reveals what the video is actually about. And like, but it's this, it's just evident that the, you know, if it would have just been, he could have probably shared the same message in that video. And I'll have to remember what that specific video was about, but because he tapped into fears, right. Leaving you broke, your loss aversion is a huge thing for people because he's showing his face and his face is looking scared and worried because she's showing this beautiful woman in a red dress that's capturing your attention. There's on the other side, there's a big pile of money that's capturing your attention. It's like a holy palooza of attention grabbing stuff. <laughs> Right? All connected. So you okay. combine these things together and you really start to see how you can layer these techniques to create attention grabbing content. But again, it's not just about grabbing attention because if you don't deliver, if you don't create value, if you don't leave your audience feeling like they're better off because of it, or you feel like you, you know, there's nothing worse than clickbait. <laughs> 
where you go through to an article that you're excited about reading. It had this really fascinating headline and you have to scroll through 19 ads and it's a pointless article like that. We are all sick of that stuff. So there's lots of traditional ways to get attention, but if you don't um, actually leverage the attention and deliver, then you won't become what another one of the F's is, which is familiar, right? Like we, we will, if a brand grabs our attention and it gives value back or a person, we eventually become to recognize that that is somebody of quality. We're going to pause when we see their content, right? But if we see that somebody is consistently or like, you know, a brand or a media company or whatever is consistently just writing these, um, these clickbaity headlines or using clickbaity imagery and that they're not delivering, we're going to know to scroll right by, right? BuzzFeed was really, really good at capturing your attention, but a lot of people probably don't click on those articles anymore because they know that they never actually fed them anything anything nutritious. <laughs> it was just a bunch of junk food. I want to shift gears now and talk about career power-ups, particularly for you. You've been in marketing for 12 years now. What's what's helped you in your, your career progression? Um, and you know what's, what's a power-up you can share with the people that's really helped you take your career uh, forward and, and as mm-hmm. you move forward? I would say that I got to have a very fortunate start in my career because I, um, you know, I was working in a marketing agency, so I got exposure to a lot of different types of businesses, which is really great. And then I ended up starting a marketing agency and got to be both a business owner and get exposure to a lot of different businesses. So I feel like that's kind of like a cheat code because when you are a, when you're running an agency, you get to see so many different types of business. You have to think about how to create different like value propositions and how to build different brands. It forces you to be creative. And so I'd say that that was a bit of a cheat code um, that kind of like leveled me up for when I was going to do more of the work that I'm doing now. But the biggest thing, and it's uh, maybe a bit cliche, but the biggest lesson that I've learned in, in my career as a marketer is just you really need to focus on understanding your buyers. And every marketer says that, but very few of us are actually doing the work Um, because it is work, right? It's like, you know, everybody can say, if you want to lose weight, you need to diet and exercise, but how much fun is that? Not very much, (laughs) but you still need to do it if you want to lose weight. Um, And it's true for marketers too. We need to stay focused on our customers. We need to get close to the customer. And so one of the techniques that for me, has been the most game-changing for really understanding the audience that I'm trying to sell to and um, crafting better marketing materials is just one-on-one interviews with buyers. It's been a huge unlock. Just it gets you, you are able to learn about why they bought products and really understand their buyer's journey. And it just gives you insight into a part of the journey that's typically, you know, in the dark. And from that, I think you can come up with way better and more empathetic marketing. So I'd say that that's been my biggest power up. It's just learning the technique. I was lucky enough to get to see um, and learn from Bob Mesta, one of the co-authors of Jobs to Be Done, co-creators. And, I, uh, and I've, I'm just grateful for, for that learning. Nice. And I believe you have a worksheet. <laughs> trying I to plug in your, your product here. You have this uh, product here. Can you talk? He, um, it's on your site, customercap.co. I've used it. Really, really great way to help people get started uh, and not just yeah. tell people. So it's the Clarity called Cheat Sheets. And, you know, it's not a video course. It's actually just a bunch of templates and scripts that you can use when you're starting to get started with interviews. But the goal is to help you feel really comfortable leading your first interviews, be able to get people 
to commit to an interview, that can be a little bit tricky. And then to be able to pull useful insights out of them. So you can kind of structure those in a way that's really obviously actionable. So that is available on my website. It's a resource that I created because I wanted it to exist in the world. (laughs) I'm glad that other people find value in it too. One last question before we wrap up is around what would you give? What advice would you want? One or two or or three, however many pieces of advice you'd like to give to your younger self when you were just starting out in your career, what advice would you would you share to the younger Caitlin 12 years ago? I wish sweet little young Caitlin, so naive. I wish that she would have known sooner that there are no marketing secrets or growth hacks, like the, like things like if somebody if something starts working and everyone's talking about it, it's not going to keep working very long, right? Like so, you, there's ways you can kind of start doing things, jumping on trends and get some short term growth. But really the long-term stuff is really just about understanding customers, committing to investing and understanding why people buy, how they buy, how your customers buy specifically. And the more time that you spend exploring and being curious about customers, you're going to get more out of that than trying to hop on whatever the latest fad in marketing is. Marketers are exceptionally good at making you think that you're missing out on something awesome. (laughs) That's kind of our job. And so I just wish that she would have understood that because I think I spent a lot of time early in my career feeling like an imposter, right? Feeling like a fraud, thinking if all of these other folks are having such amazing wins and they're doing this technique, you know, they're using funnels or they're doing this or they're having like, um, you know, like downloads or whatever, like, you know, following all of these, um, you know, marketing gurus and thinking that I was following the techniques, but I wasn't getting the results and that I must be doing something wrong. And the reality is that oftentimes it's, there's just no, there's just no shortcuts. It's exposure to a brand and trust that is built over and over and over again. And then when people are ready to buy, they buy and they buy from you because they know you and they like you and they trust you. And that's a sucky reality for marketers (laughs) to face because we want there to be this secret we want there to be this this like hidden reality that if we could just tap into it it would be so much easier but it's so often not that i love this chat with caitlin about the five f's fears faces foreign evils and feature me all to help you grab your target buyer's attention to find out more about Caitlin and her work by subscribing to her newsletter, Why We Buy on customeraccount.co, and also follow her and find her on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find all of those on the show notes and description. Thanks to Caitlin for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the marketing power-ups newsletter that I send out each week. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers from each episode. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the five best marketing frameworks the top marketers use to hit their KPS consistently and wow their colleagues. If you want to say thank you, please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're feeling extra generous, kindly leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way for others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thank you to Mary Solomon for creating the artwork and design. Thanks to 42 Agency for sponsoring this episode. And of course, thank you for listening and tuning in. Well, that's all for now. This is your host, Ramy John. Until the next episode, have a powered up day. Bye. Marketing Power Ups. Until the next episode.